Hi, everybody, and thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Talk Music Podcast. This week's interview is another really special one for me, as I get to hang out and chat with two of my buds from a long, long time ago, when all three of us were just starting out in the music business. My guests are Garth Richardson and Joe Primo, two fantastic producer engineers and great human beings. Garth, who produced Rage Against the Machine's monster debut album, just found out the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and so that's a really big deal for him. And Joe Primo has worked with some great artists in sunny LA, including the band Brand New Heavies, who recorded one of my personal favorite albums of all time, Brother Sister. Hi guys and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast. So right off the bat, I just want to say thank you gentlemen for both joining me from Vancouver and LA as we all well, go we're gentlemen, way Tom? back <laughs> together in well, time. Well, we're gentlemen? I was being complimentary there, you know, so. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we go so far back that, you know, I was thinking about this and we're, we were just really big kids playing around in a music sandbox, weren't yeah. we in those days, just trying yeah. to find a path in the music biz and and look at us we all we all did so i think we can all agree that we're pretty effing blessed that we managed to do what we've done and i'm going to say thank you music how's that for my yeah. opening yeah agree <laughs> yeah, so there there you go so uh, and i was thinking about how to get rolling on this since i have both of you on and um I don't even remember how you guys actually trained as as you got to uh, you started off in engineering as I went to uh, Fanshawe College, which in those days uh, was the very first college of its kind in the world. Right. But I'm not sure how you guys learned your chops. So why don't we start there? And Joe, you want to you want to start us off? There's something you have to have natural uh, your understanding of music. And, you know, being at phase one, it was the awesome lear learning uh, facility for me. How did you get there? Well, it was actually uh, Mark Wright, uh, the head engineer there, okay. was a neighbor of mine. Oh, okay. I went, I went there and demoed some stuff for him, and he, he took us, the band I was in at the time, under, our under his wing. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a while, I got tired of schlepping gear all over the southern Ontario, and finally I thought, it'd be nice to work here. Oh. So I just started hanging out, basically just... Did you know how to do anything besides make coffee at that point, Joe? Or did he? Did, did, were you starting from scratch? Yeah, it was starting from scratch. So there was a lot, a lot of coughing, <laughs> a lot of coffee, a lot of deliveries, things like that. Okay, so basically, he just said to you, "This is a microphone. <laughs> this go, this cable goes in there." And it was at that basic. That's how you started. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you okay. know, I had a certain amount of, certain understanding of how things worked. Okay. And before you got to phase one, Joe, was music something that resonated with you when you were already a young kid? Yeah, when the Beatles came out. Okay. That, in fact, I just read a book by Paul McCartney. It's photographs from that era, it's mm -hmm. from 63, 64. Okay. And I think a lot of a lot of Toronto session players still that I talked to recently have still that was when they went, that's what I want to do. You know, they're doing it here, like Bernie Labarge, here 40 years later, he's mm -hmm. still doing it. So the Beatles were kind of like your light bulb moment? Yeah. Where you said, oh, shit, I got to get into this, you know, whether it's a musician or or behind the scenes. Yes. Okay, got yeah. it. And you and you picked behind the scenes. <laughs> I did, after, <laughs> after a couple of years. Okay, you realized that your other musical talent was probably okay, and okay was not was not good enough well it helped with my understanding of recording music you Got know it. having a basic understanding of music and how arrangers okay. work and what they do and okay things like that my eyes were open when i actually worked with on it but uh come in with a certain understanding of what you think music is or should be 
Well, it's obviously very helpful if you are a musician, although not totally necessary, as we know, and there's tons of examples of that. So, okay, that's so you started at phase one with Mark. Okay. And how about you, Garth? Yeah, basically, I was also a huge, a, a huge, actually, Beatles uh, fan. When I was seven, I actually had a Beatles wig, mm. you know, not really? knowing that involved now. That actually, <laughs> actually, actually come in handy it, for right? you now. <laughs> right, you know, be in handy for me now. Yeah, right. so so the Beatles were the whole reason why, like, us all got into the music business because of yeah. their mm-hmm. songs and their music and just their their look, right? You know, mm-hmm. because that was cool, right? Super cool in those days, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So what about your dad? When I was five years old, my dad was doing actual session with Mr. Bobby Yercatola. Ah, Bobby, okay. And I was probably five years old. I was at the studio... I kept fucking with the actual talkback mic, <laughs> and my dad came up, okay. get out of there! So I started yelling. Right. So like I went and I hid, uh-huh. and someone there gave me my first reel-to-reel tape. And I looked at this, and I was like, what the fuck is this thing? This is like, this is incredible. And from that moment, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. You, you know, you, 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 you know when you held that, that tape in your hand. That's yeah, wild. the tape in my hand was like, uh, what, that thing, right? So... Holy yeah. shit! So, so you knew at five, basically. At five. At yeah. five. Yeah. Okay, good for yeah. you. That that beats me yeah. big time. I, I got more into it about <laughs> twelve or thirteen. But okay. Okay. okay that, that's impressive. Okay, let's move on to. Does anybody remember how we first met? Because um, now we know that Joe started at phase one, and uh, I think that um, I ended up going to phase one, and we didn't really know each other before that, did we? So no, okay. So no, no, yeah. no. okay. Yeah. You were the first guy that we knew on this planet that came into the studio with his own pair of speakers, NS tens. <laughs> That's right. You I were did. the first, and we're like Thomas right. and oh, holy fuck, man! It was like who is this guy? Yeah, incredible. right. Incredible. <laughs> like Tom shows up with his own speakers. No one would ever do that before. I'm right? so happy you remember you were the that. pioneer of it. I, yeah. w- I wonder how I picked that up. Um, I'm going to try to think. Somebody turned me on to them. And then, yeah, of course, I still have those, as a matter of fact. Oh, do you? J- oh, just wow. in my room here. I kept them my whole life. Yeah. And they still fucking sound great. I don't know what it is about them, but. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, that- they, it, they work. But, but you also, the other thing, too, for the fans out there. Yeah. I bought Tom's car. I bought your car from you. Oh. Bought Tom's Dodge Duster. Garth, how do you remember that? That's incredible. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, Okay, you got more? Okay. Slant six, but (laughs) here is the original rearview mirror. No, you have it there. That actually came out of your car. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be joking. right there. Now, can I ask you why you kept it? (laughs) Is there a reason? You know what? You know what? It's a long, long, oh, a long, 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 story. long story, right? But this is the original mirror from the car that I bought from you back in You, you have no, no idea what that means to me to see that mirror. Like, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. I'm getting flashbacks going right, right? to that car. Garth, right? and you, you your, your memory is so much better amazing. than mine. Oh, I'm yeah. so happy you, you remembered that. Wow, that, that's that's really making me chuckle here. Okay, so I must have come into phase one. That must have been Honeymoon Suite's first album, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was it something else? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, might, I, it might have been some other demos before that. Right. guys were the assistant engineers on that with Lenny DeRose and Mark Wright. I was banned from those sessions. Lenny and I didn't get along too well, right? I told Lenny... No, you're joking now, right? Actually, no, 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 no. no, no. But it's serious. I told Lenny, well, I'm to fuck off and I got fired from his sessions. Okay. So it was you, you're not kidding. Joe. Okay. No, no, serious. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. Well, yeah. I'm pals with him still. Of course. Okay, I I didn't know any of this stuff. Wow, this yeah. is this is really interesting. 
so then you guys uh, worked on some Helix albums with me. I looked at some of the credits, and Garth, I don't think you got fired on this, but you worked... No, uh, <laughs> no, 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 I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> you worked with Dave Whitman on Long Way to Heaven, and Joe, you assisted on Walking the Razor's Edge. That's right, yeah. I remember going to New York as well for mixing. Yes. Basically a tape career. Right, you know, um, that's probably the time that I was flowing down there with, uh, or Tony Bon Jovi picked me up from uh, the Toronto Island Airport, which was really special when you'd have the engineer or the owner of the record plant pick you up in a plane. So anyway, mm-hmm. enough of that. So the Helix albums, uh, any other memories? Because another one that uh, probably would remember Joe is Rock You, because that ended up being a, a huge, yeah. iconic song. And I remember bringing my wife's kids in from school to do the vocals for that. So you must have been part of that session. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And I also remember a band called Smash Palace. I love that record. I didn't like those that was, guys. Yeah, that's a really that was that was a phenomenal band, phenomenal people. So that was both of you guys working on that one from my notes and great guys yep. and uh, too bad it didn't light up the charts, uh, but uh, it was well received. You know, got some airplay and stuff, whatever, in the U.S., which was nice. But uh, And then I'm going to go back in time a little bit, Joe, back to you. We, we did a band together called Dark Room on Warner and... You were actually engineer one, and I think Garth, you were you were you were there too, and, two. and I didn't fire you, so because I was no, in you didn't fire me. But you know, also that record helped start Randy Ray, Ray, Randy Staub's career. Oh, is that a fact? Oh, interesting. Because because Randy was their actual sound guy, mm-hmm. he came with them. I grabbed them and said, "Come on," because. Randy had gone to actually the Eastman School of Music, mm-hmm. and then he really wanted to get into the recording business. Yep. So I was training Randy during that session. Oh, so when the no band way. left, Randy said, I'm staying. And they were pissed off at him. Ah, I didn't know that story. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, do you remember the time we, uh, well, of course you would. We, we actually went to Farmyard Studios because I looked at those yeah, pictures of, of, of us yeah. uh, a while ago. And I was kind of like, wow, did we actually go to the Farmyard? And we, we ended up mixing with mix, Mr. Mixing Wiz, Stephen Taylor, who at that time was with Rupert, uh, was it Rupert Hind? Or no, the, some art he was doing. Was, he, was, he had... He had some major hits on the go, and we were fortunate to work with him. And you know, yeah, Rupert Hine, he was working with. That's it, Rupert Hine. Got it. Yeah. What do you remember from that, from that session? Or I going remember to the Andrew Starr helping out a lot. Yes. I mean, because I was new to the uh, SSL, I bought a manual and I read it on the plane on the way over there. Oh, I remember that. 
Yes. And so he would, I would, I remember he'd be standing at, on my right at the end of the board mm-hmm. and I'd be hovering over the, you know, the mm-hmm. QWERTY keyboard and he'd yep. be nodding his head up or down whether I was over the right button or not. So it's you must genius. have been just bug-eyed there like I was, like just, holy shit, like, again, you know, it's it's special to be, first of all, out of the country. And I'm going to mention one thing I do remember, and that's looking at sheep gazing from the posh study whilst, whilst I was playing pool, and I was smoking a cigar, and I had a brandy in the other hand, standing there with the control room, like literally, you know, uh, 30 seconds away and thinking, okay... Uh, what a life. I want more of this, please. And I'm actually getting paid. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I know we've all been fortunate to, to have that happen to us numerous times in our career, uh, in, in some way, whether it's, you know, well, Garth, you've traveled around the world and we'll get to that. And I know Joe, you've had a fantastic career and we'll get to that. So anyway, that's one of the memories I have for some reason, besides the music part, which was incredible. And, uh, anyway, so then I'm going to go now to, why I even had a career as a producer, and that's because of my band, True Myth. I was so fortunate to work with your brilliant dad, Garth, uh, right. Jack Richardson, who for sure was my mentor, and he was also for Sony, Sony's publishing guru, Gary Furness, who I just spoke with this afternoon, who says hi. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, fantastic. And I do the, have a photo. Yeah. I do have a photo. We, we just have to send to you. It's basically my dad and Gary while my guys are doing that record. Oh, I love and that. And either you guys fucked up because my dad looked pissed, <laughs> <laughs> but the look, the look on his face, Gary's just hoping that it wasn't him. I think, right? The photo, <laughs> read to the photo. So. I don't think I ever saw your dad mad about anything. Yeah. I mean. Um, I have another story that I'll tell later about Jack, because I think it's going to reflect on maybe a story that I heard about you, uh, Garth. Uh-oh. And okay. that's how you were influenced by when your dad took you into uh, Nimbus one day and you saw Peter Gabriel. Is that is yeah. that a true story? Because we, yeah, we can talk about well, it right now. Basically, I was the janitor. I would go to school mm-hmm. and sleep. And then after school, I would drive down or actually hop in the subway and, and, and actually clean every toilet, all the offices, do all the stuff. And then be, uh, I'd be able to go in mm-hmm. and just sit in the corner and watch Peter Gabriel's record being made, Mark Farner's record being made, John Denver was there, like all the bands that came through there. Mm-hmm. I would be the runners. Okay. Somebody needed an actual sandwich. Yes. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I got to watch Peter Gabriel, a Tony Levin, Larry Fast. Uh, Robert Fripp, Steve Hunter, Alan Schwartzberg, Jimmy Malin, and then I forget who the other guitar player was, or or, or keyboard player was, and, and they're all live off the floor. And that was another moment that I watched and went, "Holy fuck, this is really what what I want to do!" Right? Oh. That was the most incredible thing to watch these guys play, and they all played off of each other. Yeah, and there was this vibe. And, and, was a sound uh, was this emotion and i think that's what is actually lacking in what we're doing today because now we've all become rock and roll typists mm-hmm. and there is no more like a hockey team yep. with just one player on the ice mm-hmm. there's no team to have a band playing all together has to happen again climbing up on south So, Garth, I agree with you 100%. And sorry, sorry, Joe, while I take another 30 seconds here before I get back to you about some stuff here. But I just wanted to to sort of echo what you just said, that Gary and I were just about finished Fanshawe, and Jack invited us to come down and visit him in the studio. And we were kind of like, holy shit, he he wants me and you to go down there. So we, we did, and we were thrilled to death. We knock on this huge door at Nimbus, and Bob Ezrin's um, young son opened the do- door and goes, what do you want? <laughs> and and somehow somehow he let us in and we just kind of, you know, politely walked in and sat down somewhere. And then all of a sudden Jack shows up and he, and he brings us into the control room. The lights were all off and he said, you know, sit on the ground. You know, uh, we weren't allowed to say anything. 
just be super quiet. And all of a sudden we could just see above the window enough that Peter Gabriel was sitting on a stool with a white light bulb over his head. As it was just yeah, a wow. stool. And the lights were wow. all off everywhere. And he, and he was bald at this point, or, or he just shaved his head, uh, if I remember correctly. Wow. wow. And, and we were there and privileged. And I don't know how long we were there, Gary and I, but we were getting like chills up our spine. And we exactly had that feeling that you did, Garth, that we just said, yeah. Yeah. this is what we're going to do the rest of our life. This is yeah. it. Yeah. This is the defining yeah. light bulb moment at literally well, light bulb. Yeah, there was no light bulbs yeah. on, but... Uh, it was just um, that moment in time that I can just sort of picture immediately, Peter, right now. I can see him, see him, you know, visually that that moment yeah. was the moment. So anyway, Joe, yeah. thanks for letting yeah. me. I had to get that out with Garth because I read that <laughs> that affected you as well as me. So I'm glad we got that uh, out of the way because that was it's just important for people to to hear out there, too, what's you know, what, what moments in time are magical for us and why we decided to pursue you know, music. So here we are. So then you guys eventually leave the country. And I'm going to say for greener pastures and much better weather, I might add, too. Uh, maybe, well, Vancouver's, yeah, it's pretty nice. It does rain a bit. Yeah, we well, all know Vancouver's that. beautiful. And Joe, you ended up in LA. So, um, Garth, why don't you start first? Why did you leave? And I'll get to you in a second, Joe. Why did you leave Toronto? Where did you go? Uh, why did you leave Toronto? You know, jump into that for us. Okay, so basically, Michael Wagner, uh, who was one of the biggest hair metal '80s producers, yes, uh, I remember him. Came up, yeah, came up to do this record, a band called 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 Actually Brighton Rock, mm -hmm. and and I overheard Michael Wagner talking to his wife, and he said, Maggie. I have a band sleeping in the studio. I have a second engineer here that can't talk. I'm in the middle of bumfuck Scarborough. Get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. and, of course, I went, okay, so then I worked extra hard to make sure that Michael was actually set up properly. Everything was working. He had the best session. Uh -huh. At the end, Michael said, Garth, come down to Los Angeles. Now, Joe, I don't know how many times you've heard this. But uh, I used to get asked that, hey, well, you know, you're going to come down to L.A. and work. And, and of course, well, yeah, great, great. And then uh, ever hear like a soul. No. Michael, Michael called me about, uh, about three months later. said, Garth, get on the plane now. That was when I had your car. I gave <laughs> the keys to Dale and said, Dale, the car is good for the next three months. I am going down to, down to Los Angeles for six weeks, but I'm not coming back. Okay. So I gave the keys to Dale and then I hopped on a plane. So did you go down there thinking it, you're just going to do a trial or were you actually oh, yeah, yeah, down yeah, yeah, inside yeah. thinking that? I was determined that, oh, to not come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. You, you were determined not to come back. Okay. And yeah, obviously yeah, Michael yeah. Wagner delivered the goods and everything he promised, which is, is he did, in yeah. itself yeah. astounding. Most people just shoot yeah. the shit and go, as you said, come on down. Yeah. And you, your phone never rings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Okay. It rang. It rang, and I just went. I... So how did that lead to, of course, your your Rage album, which I, I think I, I looked online, and I was trying to figure out how many it sold, but I, I think it's around 50 million or something. So tell us that whole story, if you don't mind, about how did you get from Michael Wagner to Rage Against the Machine? Okay, so basically Michael Wagner was talking to Michael Goldstone. Okay. Uh, uh, Michael Goldstone had the band signed. Yeah. Michael Goldstone asked, is there any young kid kid can want to do this record? And of course, Michael Wagner said, Garth. So I got a call from Michael, who went down to his office. He actually played me three songs, and I was like, what the, f like, holy shit. So then I went, and actually met the band mm -hmm. in this little room in Van Nuys, California. Mm -hmm. And they played me three songs. And uh, Metro Stutter, I couldn't talk. I was yeah. just like... Overwhelmed like, how great it was. What the... F like, like, this was the most incredible thing that I've ever felt. Not heard, but felt. Because it. It, uh, it was this energy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was in the middle of the... Eckerd, uh, I mean, actually Burbank, the band would show up eight hours late a day. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, they, uh, okay. they're they all day. Standard waiting, LA wait, wait. band thing, yeah. So, 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 the Goldstone called me up and said, hey, can you start Monday? 
And this was Friday. And I went, um, yes, I can. <laughs> so the band came in. I said, guys, that's some great news and some bad news. The great news is you guys are going to make a great record. The bad news is not, uh, uh, not with me. I actually quit. <laughs> you quit the, the band you were with currently. Okay. I quit the band I was working with it, and I began the record Monday. Wow. Yeah, you just yeah. knew you just instinctively. It was the most. Yeah, yeah. It was like watching Peter Gabriel's that that mm -hmm. feeling. I'm sure, that feeling. It was just like you went. This is absolutely real. So how did you right? get a how did you get a shot at making the record? How, who, who trusted you at the end of the day, Michael Goldstone? Oh, that was Michael Wagner and also Goldstone because they had just engineered Mother's Milk for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that was kind of like oh, okay, that was cool. Okay, right. I, I, I see. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about. It seems to be all over, online everywhere, that this was perhaps one of the first times anybody had ever recorded the vocals in a control room. I don't know if you were the pioneer for that, or you got to be one of them anyway. That that was you know like such an incredible move for you to. No, the only way to capture them, I guess, was to, <laughs> you know, yeah. put them in the control room. So tell us about that a bit. Well, 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 well uh, the whole concept of the record was I saw, saw them live, and when it was in that uh, room, I wanted to capture that. Yeah, for sure. I was not making the actual Barbara Streisand record where you had to have everything perfect, everything had to be, you know, sound perfect. <laughs> right. So, like, I brought in a whole concert PA system mm -hmm. and put uh, put the drums just behind the PA system, I had Tom and Tim's amps in the back room. Mm -hmm. And then Tom, Tim, and Zach uh, were all in front of the PA system. Okay. And so they were doing the, the record live off, live off, live off the floor. And they had to go back in and fix a few things. That was what Got it. we did. Zach, um, uh, Zach, she blew out his voice. So, so we had a couple of days off. So then Zach came back and said, okay, dude, come on to the control room. I pushed everything out of the way in front of the console, turned up the, turned up the monitors as loud as they could go and went, mm -hmm. go. Because I didn't want him to have headphones on. I didn't want him to feel that he was capturing and he, he felt pigeonholed. So... I was going for the actual performance, not the actual sonic masterpiece. Well, obviously that was brilliant because that made the whole record, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I guess that that was the start of people doing doing it regularly. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if yeah. Joe's done it many times. I guess everybody has, you know, like, well, yeah. actually, you're right. It doesn't matter what kind of music it is, just stick the, the vocals in the, in the control room so it's more personal yeah. and... Yeah. yeah. Wow. Communication is better too. You know, you're you're right there. You can talk with them and correct. It's That's just true. More immediate. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because you know what we're dealing, uh, uh, we're dealing dealing with actually uh, uh, the thing that we have to you know understand is uh, 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 they were dealing with people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like souls, hearts. Absolutely. You know, you know, people feels the fact that we're all on our laptops. You know what? Uh, you have to have this, right? So, yeah. You know. well, 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 we'll get to that a little bit later. The laptop uh, world that we live in now, which, yeah, again, I'm I'm not a big fan of at all. But uh, uh, okay, so then obviously, this record became so massive. What happened next? Did you did you have all sorts of managers contact you? Your phone must have been ringing off the, off the hook. What, what happened next? And you have so many albums to go through, Garth, that um, why don't you just enlighten us a little bit about what happened and maybe talk about a, bit, a little bit about your your next few years and, you know, your trajectory <laughs> and how you start. Because I know you've made 100 records or 200 or 300. I've lost track. Yeah. There's, 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 yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah, tons you, of them. It was a blur. I'd be here for a yeah. week going through all of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was a blur. Um, the records that I can say that did well, I did Mudvayne. I did Rise Against. Trapped. 
I did Chevelle. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a band, a few Christian bands, which were uh, 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 extremely comical. Okay. Because you, you, you know, yeah. they were all virgins. Right? They, you uh-huh. know, nobody yeah. had sex. Nobody did drugs. Nobody smoked weed. It was really kind of weird because of all of us, we all grew up, you know. Having you know, some vices. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, blow, some kind. weed, <laughs> right. booze. In some cases, you know, all vices together, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so it was really nice because they would always be on time. They always be, you know, yeah. you know, you know, up and ready to go. Because I did one band, I did three records in a row, where uh, the first band, uh, I was doing heroin, second band was doing speed, <laughs> and then the actual third band was doing blow and heroin. <laughs> And I actually had a nervous breakdown, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So were all of these albums what I call um, tough work projects, or were they fun? Or were some way more fun than others? Um, are there, you know, is there a couple that really stand out for where everything just went great, or is there no such thing? Or were they all sort of tough in a way? Well, you know what, you... Uh, 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 they're all hard because you focus so hard and you're there yeah. seven days a week for like three months straight or yeah. even six months straight. Um, uh, 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 they're all, uh, uh, there's a couple that, you, you know, want to go back and not do. Well, you, sure, sure. sure. Uh, there's where, where, that. where your amazing personality maybe clashed a bit <laughs> with, well, you know. with somebody in the band. And that <laughs> well, happens, yeah. What happened, what, 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 you had a choice to do a band that was doing heroin, a band that's doing cocaine, or a band that, that was doing speed. Speed would be the first one I wouldn't do. Got it. Okay. Because speed, you, you, you have no idea who's coming on, who's going to be in the door, who's showing up that day. That was the most hardest drug to have to work with right got, got but it. heroin heroin they're all like i'm done but of paid. course you're getting paid you have to do it you have yeah, to yeah, figure, yeah you have yeah, to you had to yeah. figure out a way okay yeah, yeah yeah so that went on for a number of years so let's so is it it's safe to say there was a bunch of ups and downs but mostly ups it's just yep. a, you know there are a few along the way that oh, yeah. you kind of go back yeah. now and go holy fuck how did i get through that that was a fucking yeah, yeah. nightmare yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this yeah. way it, this yeah. way it always is right joe for sure joe, joe, you're at the yeah. end of a record you are exhausted because uh, the funny thing is Michelle, who used to be at Phase One, uh, was the studio manager. Yes. She used to work Monday through Friday at 9 till 5, would have an hour and a half off at lunch, and by Friday she'd go, I've had a hard week. I'm so tired. And we're looking <laughs> at going, Michelle, we put in the first three days. We put in what you did. <laughs> You know, and like, you, you know, so, so. We so, haven't slept in a week, Michelle. We, we, we haven't slept, right? So uh, uh, it's basically at the end of every record, you're like going, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't, you know what, the record's shit. I don't like it. I want to redo it. I, I don't, and stuff. Yeah. Because you are so burnt out and so tired, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I, I know that your, your career has, there's way, way more highs than lows. Yeah. And um, well, thank you. I'm I'm really proud of what you've accomplished. Just to to to, to mention that that um, to come out of uh, Canada to go down to the states, and then you you ended up back here again, and and you've been contributing yeah. so much to the world of music. And uh, I mean, by starting a school as well, I want to segue to that because you you ended up coming back to to Vancouver. And yep. starting, um, so what came first? Was it the Nimbus School of Recording Arts that came first when you returned to Vancouver? No, basically, yeah, I, I, I spent spent like about five years at uh, basically Brian Adams Studio, okay. and I had fired probably twenty to thirty kids because they weren't being mentored. Like my dad mentored Bob. Bob. Uh, so we're talking Bob Ezrin here for the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bob Ezrin. Yes. Yeah. So, so. Mm-hmm. So all these kids that they were mentored by Jack and Bob mm-hmm. and by Danny Langlois, like all, all these people, yep. all turned out to be phenom- phenomenal people. I got to mentor Joe Brisi. I got to uh, mentor Nick Raskulenix. I got ended to, up doing uh, Rush mentor, for those people listening. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rush. And I also got to do Greg Fiddleman. Mm-hmm. I trained the tra- guys, right? And so when we came back to, to Texas, Vancouver, mm-hmm. I had fired a a ton of people and I called up Bob and said, Bob, 
we have to open up a school because there's all these kids that are being taken advantage of and they're being taught shit. Mm -hmm. So then Nimbus opened, Nimbus ran for basically 14 years and Nimbus should just, just shut down April 1st of this year. Okay. So it, ran for 14 years. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, when COVID yeah. hit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry oh. to hear that. Didn't know you that. know what? Happiest day of my life. <laughs> because you know what? The school was really hard to keep running. Uh, um, uh, I just turned 65. I'm sure you're around the same age, Joe and Tom. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We are. It's yep. time. What are, yeah, yeah, it was time. Yeah, yeah. Time. Yeah. No, but but you helped yeah, a lot. Yeah, you know what? It was students. like, I want to do other things things than to have to be at a school for 365 days a year. Yeah, you, right. You, you've done your payback already. I did. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then... Uh, so you still have uh, the farm studios. That's your where I'm staring at you right now. You're in. Looks like you're in some beautiful studio room. There, a control room. Is that the farm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Farm studios. Basically, Tell after Napster came out, and I saw that our business uh, was going to be ruined, which it did. I said I have to get my own space. Yeah. So I didn't want to get like actually phase one. Love it. Amazing place to to have to be trained in. But I didn't want that bunker. I didn't want that fucking strip mall for the studio. So no, I hear you. She found this stunning seventeen-acre property with five buildings on it. I'm now on version ten point nine of actually redoing the studio. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so amazing. I, I'm gonna have to. Uh... Do my, yeah, do my next you have to come out. album there. Yeah. Yeah, come on. <laughs> 40 up, years come on overdue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to call my, my, my members up and go, let's, let's, we're flying up to Vancouver. We're going, and it's, it's Little Mountain's, uh, 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 some of their gear, right? Uh, no, no, no nothing, no, nothing, nothing. No, it's, from it's all mountain. yours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your, yeah. your personalized yeah. version of what you love yes. as far as gear yeah. goes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, before we go to you, Joe, I want to just ask Garth uh, if there's any projects you're currently working on you want to talk about or anything else um, that's on the go or, you know, we talked about the Leafs earlier. Well, well, <laughs> uh, well, well you know, the, uh, the bad thing is the Leafs are down three to one. Joe. Okay. We, we, All right. We, we, it's we, a long we, season, though. But We're they're good. going to go into third and going to come back. We'll no, um, uh, uh I'm doing a band from China again oh. called 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 they're actually called Hungai. Okay, they're folk, a traditional metal, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, I have another band that, that I can't mention because um, you had to sign something say no to. Yeah, um, I have another band coming here at the beginning of the year. Um, it's kind of a nine-piece orchestra rock band. Wow. So really different, really Sounds kind of really cool. interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then, then uh, basically just doing a lot less stuff. I, uh, I did that new single Mountainhead. Uh, it's called internet. I just did the last Devin Townsend record. Oh, oh so, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, yeah. a big record. Yeah. So like I'm kind of retiring. Okay, no. so you're still putting in 200 hours a week, but you're, you know, so you're, you're, you're slowing down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm slowing down a bit, okay. right? <laughs> okay, sorry for the wait there for you, Joe. Now it's your turn. So the same question I first asked Garth why did you leave Toronto and move to L.A. in 1998? Actually, 89. I followed Garth down. Okay, so go deep as to where you first landed as per getting work. Actually, uh, with Garth at the, on, and Bob Ezrin. Oh, and okay. And Wagner from Alice Cooper's band. A band called The Throbs at uh, oh, Amigo dear. Studios. Amigo Studios. Right. Okay, The Throbs. Okay, that's so, right. So that was your first gig in L.A. Yes. Okay. That was more like a uh, Guns N' Roses kind of band. They were. Okay. Yes, we had Little Richard come in to play on play on yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, which is wow. amazing. Yeah. Wow. So you were <laughs> okay. So you were hanging with uh, with Bob and uh, some of the other. Uh, your so-called yeah, I was uh, doing the night shift 
you know, or the day shift, we'd go 24 hours. We'd be with Dick, you know, or Bob. Garth would be with Bob and I'd be with Dick. Okay. We'd come in. They'd come in the next day and undo everything we did the day before. Okay. So so you were um, you were at Amigo and how long did that, that go on for and where did you go from there? Um, it was actually another call from Garth. Uh, he got a call to work with some Japanese artists and he passed on it. He was busy at the time. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, and I ended up taking <laughs> okay. it. Ended up working with her for ten years. After that, oh, she took me to Japan, New York. It was quite a quite a ride with her. Oh. Now the one thing, Tom. <laughs> yes, Joe, and you have to back me up on this one, Joe. But oh uh, well, we all we all hated Joe because Joe got hired to go to Hawaii. What to do? You did to do her headphone mix. That's all he had to do. Fly yeah. in, sit there on the beach, and then when it came time you're to record, now. he you're would sure that her headphones would. Right, right. It had to true? be Joe's hands putting that together, like like the way, like so specifically. No, she, liked, she liked my headphone mixes, so basically it came to that. You know, the assistant from Japan, who's always really great. They always have the top-notch people in Japan. You know, to assist you. They're really conscientious. They write down everything you do, mm-hmm. and they write down for their own good, too. They're just amazing. I can well, remember going over there with Rob Chiarelli, another engineer, yep. and he was really nervous. He's a New Jersey guy. He was really nervous about going over there and uh-huh. you know, working in the studios, and I told him, don't worry about a thing. The assistants are amazing. And sure enough, they were. They knew they knew everything, how to, how to link up an SBX-80 with a, whatever it was. You know, they could... At then, at that time, we were just discovering how to lock things together and what you could do and what you couldn't do. A lot mm-hmm. of experimenting going on. Yes. Nowadays, with with uh, DAWs, it's uh, you know you don't have to worry about that anymore. You can always interface with other pe- other people. Right. So this is obviously you. You were part of the era where the budgets were absurd, and somebody would just fly you to Hawaii to do a headphone mix. Because, in the, you know, those were the good old days where uh, I still remember when I was working on some of those records where it was kind of like, okay, uh, you mean I, I have three months to do this record and I'm going to get paid that and, and I'm going to fly here, there and there. And so this must be part of what your life was like for a while there. Yes. Yeah. It was, well, a little bit like that. You know, you were you were the guy. They treated all the musicians like that. They flew a, a band. I asked him at one point, he says, we had two drummers, two bass players, two of everything. And I asked them why, and they said, oh, one is for medium tempo, one is for fast tempo. <laughs> I said, you know they can play both tempos. I haven't heard of that before. That's wild. They can play, That's play fast and slow. Wow. They, they hired certain people because they wanted them to do certain things. They looked on the back of Madonna's record or Michael Jackson's record and hired those same musicians. Mm-hmm. So the upside for that was got work got to work with all these great players and at great studios. So it was always Conway or A&M at the time. Right. And, you, and you had a 10, 10, so like, 10 year run apparently with, with yeah. this, this artist. That's amazing. And they would always mixed down would be in another country. Well, yeah, my favorite thing to do. So tell us about your career trajectory as besides this Japanese artist, uh, before we go any further, you have worked with a band and I have to mention this. Uh, this band recorded probably my most played album of all time, and 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 I don't know if you worked on this specific record, but this band, uh, and I'm going to tell you in a second. But why don't you take a stab at it? Who, who do you think it is? This is my favorite. I put this on. I probably had it on last night, and I had it on on the weekend. I play it all the time. And you've worked well, with this have, band. I think I have the same record, and I play it all the time. Mary oh. Margaret Hera. No, 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 no. But that's a good choice. Uh, I love that record too. No, this is a band that you work with numerous times in LA. And I, when I looked at your discography, oh, Tower of Power. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Nope. It's too amazing. One more guess, and I'll tell you. If you don't get it, uh, I don't get it. Okay. Never stop me. The brand new heavies. Oh yeah, the brother and really sister like album. That. The brother and sister yeah. album. I I I played it thousands of times. Every time that I have people over to the house, it's on. My kids grew up with it. 
uh, when we rent a cottage, that album came on. Uh, we're in the car, that album came on. It still comes on. I played it thousands of times. There you go. I remember that record. That was a great record. And to that work band on. in general, I play their catalog. So I know you worked on some of that stuff. So I, I had to mention that um, when I saw that you'd work with them, I kind of like, I was like, oh, that's, my, that's my fucking favorite album of all time. Holy shit. I got to ask Joe about that. Maybe you didn't work on that record. But anyway, nice people, I hope. Yeah, they were very nice people. Oh, good. Uh, they knew what good. they wanted. I remembered mixing that record uh, with the uh, executive producer, the uh, owner of Delicious Vinyl. It was right. during a period of time. I spent a lot of time working with their artists, yeah. Farside and Brand New Heavies. Yeah. In fact, I just got an invitation from the Grammy.com to yeah. go to a, a celebration of 50 years of hip hop. It's like, I'm the furthest guy that should be going to that. But. <laughs> <laughs> the far side record it was trying to bring a a sense of pop to what what they were doing and they were really funny guys mm -hmm. and, and q sound had just come out at the time so i got a demo of that so i you know i did all these weird, wild things that they have conversations going on in their recording and i'd have them way out behind us and mm -hmm. it was a really interesting mix yeah so tell us about some of the other acts that you've worked on in sunny la over the years um any ones that have stood the test of time for you as far as, yeah, you know, I worked on that and I, I'd love working on that record. Anything that stands out in your, you know, in your career that uh, you want to mention? Well, the, the Tower of Power things were always great because those guys are fantastic. Yep. Yeah, the horn yeah. part, having never seen them before mm -hmm. you know which is a hard thing to do after 50 years of playing the same songs over and over again to play new things that's tough yeah and have them recorded at the same time mm -hmm. yeah okay and they you, work all the time yeah i'll have to uh, check some of those albums out uh, for sure and uh you've been working with Giovanelli too i think i read somewhere yeah yeah, that would, Tower Power is a result of Joe Benelli. Well, that's a result of him. Okay, got it. Joe's an amazing producer, just a music musical guy, and an engine, great engineer as well. Mm -hmm. How about your hard rock and metal? Because um, I, uh, your nickname in Canada was Joe the Pounder. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. That was because of a band called Witch Killer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I kind of like the sound of Joe the Pounder. It seems pretty accurate. Because you ended up working with Sword as well and Anvil. So and two bands that I'm very familiar with. Uh, I just got Sword, their, their new deal in Europe, actually, with a company. Oh, really? I did, yeah, like um, oh, last year. So you haven't done any hard rock or metal in L.A., really, to speak of? It was just not on your radar down there? That's sort of uh, down here. Yeah, actually, it was. Today, I just got a metal record. <laughs> Today, really? Uh, today, I just got a call from, remember Sean Phillips? He was a Canadian artist. Yeah, a young young band he was working with in North Carolina, I think it is. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I've dabbled in hard rock and metal my whole life, like I know you have, Garth. Of course, you produced tons of that, that great stuff, but... Uh, I still find it's it's just uh, such a loyal fan base. I love it, and it's 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 albums that you also record live in the studio, if you can. And Garth, you can vouch that. I hope they still do yeah. that. Uh, I hope they haven't all gone to the computer as well and just no, one at a time. No, no. Uh, what's happening is they all now just do the drums first, and then they do the bass. Yeah, they, yeah, they, I know, I know, the, all, I know the yeah, deal. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, so Joe, what do you, what do you, what have you been working on currently, and are you now starting to take it easier? Are you still putting in your hundred hours a week? You well, I'm, you know, still always working on music. You know, I have a singer songwriter as a wife, so you do. You, you have home, a great one there, yes, of course, Chrissy. I walk in the door. It's like, uh, 
Yes. You know, powering up the studio and away we go. And and do the odd mix job for, for anyone. Because I set this up when I got this place. I, you know, got had enough money to, I thought, okay, this is going to be my last rig. Little did I know, like eight years later, it's like showing its signs already. Okay. But I tried to keep it analog. So I got a hybrid set up here. So I can have the ease of uh, the DAW and the uh, the mm -hmm. sound of the analog. Got it. Okay. And is that where you do most of your work these days in your home, or do you still go outside to outside studios? Well, I'm, I'm doing most of the mixing is done here. Okay. To track, I nowadays uh, you know I just send stuff to uh, I send files to uh, different musicians. Everyone's got a setup. All the people I know have setups at home, and they all have really good front ends. Yeah, and high quality mic preamps. So that's so the really world we live in now. You just send a like to Randy Cook, yeah, for example. Well, yeah. Hey, here, Randy. Yeah. I, I, you just do the drums for me and send me back the stems, and away we go. Fuck, that's unbelievable. Yeah, we're doing the drums last. You know, I, I use Randy Cook sometimes. That's too. what I meant, Randy Cook. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Randy Cook. Yeah. He's really great. He, he'll send you a video file of him doing it. Unreal. Doing your part. You can do it live with him or have him just do it. Recently, my wife and I have hired uh, Tony Snow. He plays with a band called Dramarama. Mm-hmm. And yep. missing persons I've seen him on stage with. Uh-huh. And Gene loves Jezebel and just send him files. He's got an engineer and they record it, send it back to you. And then I actually use Howard A to do bass back in Toronto. What? Of course. How's he do? Oh, yeah. Him files. Oh, wow. He does he does oh, Howard A. Well, I love that. This is a perfect segue to some questions about uh producing engineering in the music biz. For you, for you gentlemen. I'm going to start with you, Garth. Uh, since you've been primarily a producer for most of your career, especially after mm -hmm. the Rage album blew up, uh, what is a producer's job these days? And how different is it, you know, let's say to going back 30 years ago? Like, give us, give us the nuts and bolts here. Okay, well, nothing has changed in the history of what we do. It's always been about... And it will always be about a good song. And our job is to get the best story out of each song. Because every song has to be like a story that actually makes people feel. And, 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 and our job is to be, uh, 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 we do find mostly our job is to say, no, that's not good enough. Or no, that part doesn't work. Or, or no, that lyric could be better. Right. And so like our jobs um, uh, really haven't changed, but, but it's still about getting uh, the best out of the drummer, the singer, the bass player, the guitar player. So I was about uh, those pom poms. And you're fucking cheering them, cheering them on. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This question goes to both of you guys. And I 100 percent agree again about the song is number one. It always has been. What are some of the reasons for still using a big studio these days? And Garth, you obviously own a great one. So how do you explain to somebody who goes, wait a second, I've got Pro Tools, I've got a good mic, I've got a good preamp at all. What do I need your studio for? How do you, what, do you, what do you say to them? Well, the thing is, they probably all have USB microphones or they have a shitty interface. Yep. Um, um, yep. Um, I've spent a lot of money making sure that I am state-of-the-art, everything sounds good. I'll probably speak this for Joe, too. We actually still do do care how things sound. <laughs> Good you know, for you. I you know, know. it's, it's, it's <laughs> And the only way that I can explain digital compared to analog is digital is a PS5. Analog is a pinball machine. Okay. That's right? an interesting comparison. You're actually playing the machine. Okay. When the ball comes down, you're, you're shaking the machine yourself. Digital is... You know, like you're just doing this. You're just typing, 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 typing. You're typing, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That's a good analogy and a good comparison. Um, so what about um, how necessary is a producer for for everybody, considering very few are good at it? And, and there's, you know, I mean, we can count on one hand, really, if you, well, at least if you're in Canada or maybe two hands, there's just not a, not a lot of them around. So if you're a young band, you're a young artist... What do you do? 
how do you, how do you how do you get going if you can't and and some some of the producers that are really good won't look at you because you don't have the money to pay them so i guess my question is you know do you just learn the songwriting craft more and go that direction and not worry about the recording so much in the beginning or so what give us some some advice here on that i would say put down your phone pick up your instrument Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, there's a great thing. Uh, a, a good friend of ours, Randy Staub, mm-hmm. worked uh, worked on actually David Lee Roth record with Van Halen. This was like a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, this is when we all thought the music business w- was going down the shitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 David Lee Roth and v- Van Halen and all these bands used to be in cover bands. So they would play hit song after hit song after hit song. Mm-hmm. So they learned and felt what it felt like to play actual hits, hit song. Mm-hmm. So when it came to to their music, they kind of understood what it felt like, right? So, so, so I honestly think people need need to learn every Beatles song, every Rolling Stones song, every Who song, every Genesis song, mm-hmm. every Peter Gabriel song, you know, and on and on and on, and just learn what it feels like to play a hit song, right? Uh, 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 there's, a, there's a great story. I actually told this thousands of times. Yep. My dad and I, you know, we were talking, I said, you know, Pops, this is where, like, I really want to get into it. I want to get into music business. Oh, okay, son, then we had to have a talk. Mm-hmm. I had a pad of paper with, with, with you know, pen, and I was going to take pages and pages of notes, yep. notes because... He talked and talked and talked. He said, ready? I said, ready. And I have my pen ready. He says, good songs sell, bad songs don't. That was the beginning and the end of my conversation, right? So, 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 so everybody has to focus on the song, on the lyric, on the, on the melody. Yeah. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. 100% agreed. Okay, so we're on the final section here, boys. Oh, I went from gentlemen to boys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the beer's kicking in here, so I'm getting a little looser. Uh, okay, um, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Is that okay? Uh-oh. And I ask all my guests this season, this question. Okay. Um, if I were to wave a magic wand and give you both three wishes to change three things in the current music biz, so it would be better for all of us, what would they be? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a hard one. Mm-hmm. The songwriting schools would be one thing, yes. Okay. It's harder to polish a turd. I think the thing that I would change is that the people have to understand that that we're worth more than a plumber, right? Because, because people come up to us now and go... Hey man, I want to do ten songs and I got three thousand dollars and I want to spend like a month on it. And you're looking at him going, um, "How about I give you three a days?" Well, you know, Tim down the road says stuff. So, 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 if we could change it that where everybody got properly paid, mm-hmm. and I think people have to have to start realizing that our days we spend fourteen to sixteen hours a day. And it's like we get paid. We get paid by the time you look at what you get paid per hour of what we put into our work. We we probably get paid about a buck twenty five an hour. Wow! So you're talking particularly now, currently, where there's the big label. Currently now, budgets yeah. have dried up. Um, budgets have gone from six hundred thousand dollar records to sixty thousand dollar records. Yeah, and and even if you can get that gig, and everybody's trying for those, um, it's peanuts. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, peanuts yeah, at yeah. the yes. end of the day for for the producer, engineer, so, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. One major thing is that they would get paid what what we're worth. Okay, Joe. Yeah. So you came up with um, schools first. Do you have a a second one? How about? <laughs> How about streaming rates? Because everybody complains about that. Is that something also that affects you personally? Well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, as a producer or even as an engineer, you don't, Mm -hmm. it uh, hasn't, you know, come up a lot where you're offered a point spread on a record as an engineer. No. As a producer, that's part of your pay. Right. As an engineer, you'd have to be a certain kind of mixer in a certain league to garner that sort of attention. Yeah. There's a wonderful human being, Merck, Merck. Yeah, Mur- Muriakis. That's right. Who who is a fucking champion? Who who is battling? 
and trying to get producer, songwriter. Yeah, I read, I, I read his articles all, all the time on yeah, his. Yeah, uh, right, right, yeah. and, and it's like it's like it's like like that has to change because uh, uh, the funny thing is Nap Napster fucking changed us forever, mm-hmm. and what happened was that when the whole Spotify came out, I know for a fact probably that the labels made deals with, with Spotify and Apple Music, but they're paying us 0.0003 cents a stream. But they're all making bank because the labels are making more money than they ever have. But we're making less money than we ever had. That's what I heard too for talking to some yeah, other right, people. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So I think what has to happen is that, you know, the whole writer strike that happened in the film business and mm-hmm. the TV business, they fought for what we also have to fight for. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, I never thought of that. You're right. We have to right? stand up as well and go. Yeah, is getting enough. paid, yeah. getting getting paid for, for what we do. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's two. That's two. Okay. I'll come back to you in 30 seconds. Joe, can you come up with one more? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm pressing you for one more. How do you make this business better? Come on. You got to come got up one. with hookers, something. Yeah, yeah. Hookers and blow. Hookers yeah, and blow. The old days. That's the hookers old days. and blow at every session. Yeah. Hookers uh, and blow okay. at every session. That's what we need to change in the music business. <laughs> Okay. I don't, I, I, you know, There's no budgets for that anymore. With 60 grand, know, that'll be gone fast. Come on. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I can remember days when Stacy Hayden used to walk in and throw a 50 down on the board and say, okay, oh. that's, for the, that's for the stripper later if you guys get this next take. <laughs> I remember that. That's right. I, I don't know if I and, ever And of course, you can't forget about anyway. Stacy Hayden. He, 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 he had his Porsche parked in the loading bay. And you'd open up the door and you see the car fucking rocking up and down. Oh, oh, yeah, all right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so Garth, I'll come back to you. Joe, I'll leave you at two. You're good. Okay. Uh, Garth, one more? One more. Come on, you can dream up one more thing to make our business so much better. Come on. Well, well, you know what? Um, uh, 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 A while ago, uh, you guys got in Ontario the actual music fund. Yeah, that kind of helped us. Okay, good. Uh, 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 when, when, when that happened, everybody from BC moved back east because that's where the money was. Is that a fact? I that's called, what happened. Oh, yes. I called up Graham Henderson, who was in charge of Music Canada, and said, "Dude, on your tombstone, he's going to read." You destroyed the rest of Canada's music scene because of that fund. So Graham came out, lobbied, and got BC to where we put in seven seven point five million dollars a year mm-hmm. into into our music business. The wonderful thing is we are we 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 are one of the only countries that actually does that. That's the same thing that Jack did. With uh, 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 with Terry Brown mm-hmm. and Jack mm-hmm. and actually Ray Davies, they they all went to Ottawa. So let's get give the credit content. here. So you're saying Graham Henderson uh, deserves credit for putting that together for BC? Yes. Oh, wow. totally, totally. Fantastic. Yeah. So this helped, but you know what? We need more help. Okay. Right? We need the governments to help us uh, help us mentor, nurture, and actually okay. get our creators. <laughs> had chance to start, and, and in the right. states, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. Nothing like that exists. I wouldn't think. Nothing. No, no, zero. No, okay. Everybody's You're on, your own. on their own. Okay. Yeah. So uh, things are getting better, Garth, as far as government support goes, as you mentioned. But it could be better. So we can put that it, as number three. It, it could be better. Could yeah. be better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, number three, <laughs> be- better government support, better streaming credits through Apple Music and Spotify coming into Canada. That's exciting. I love the credit thing with that with Apple. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Because because Spotify and Apple Music have to pay a actual licensee fee to to be able to stream here in Canada. They should make it that if you stream in Canada, they have to make sure that the extra studio, the producer, the engineer, the second engineers and all the writers mm-hmm. get credit. Steve Kane, a long time ago, wonderful, wonderful human being, love him dearly. 
he had an artist come out and he said, here is the artist's new video. It's going to be great. And they went, hey, Steve, who produced it? Who, who, who engineered it? Because when you turn down the sound, yep. that's what they did. Well, when you turn up the volume, that's what we do. And for some strange, for some fucking reason, we never get credited or we never get talked about. But the person that did the video, oh, my God. They're they're God. Yeah, I didn't realize but, that. That's good. Another good point. Yeah. But turn down the, the, the volume. That's what they did. Hmm. Okay. I just want to thank you both for joining me on the Talk Music Podcast. And um, it was just so much fun chatting about our respective careers. And I sincerely hope we can meet up in person someday. And I would join you for a Leaf game if you're ever in town. Make sure you call me and I'll, I'll definitely, definitely go. And Joe... Uh, if you're ever in town or if I'm down there, I'm going to look you up. And yeah. so nice to uh, to catch up with yeah. you. It really, uh, it was really fun for me. Awesome for me as well. Okay, much love, everyone. Bye-bye. Peace and love. <laughs>